My name is Bridie Addison and I came to London in 1952. Where was I born? I was born in Dublin in Golden Lane on the 18th of February 1928. When did I come to London? In 1952. I was 23 because I was 24 when I got married in 52. But prior to that, I came over here on holiday in 1951. And this is where I met my husband. He was a Scot and he was born in Dunfermline. He was 12 years older than me, though. That didn't matter. When I saw him, I thought, yeah, I like you. <laughs> Our courtship was correspondence because he was writing to me, I'm writing to him. And the only reason we got married so quick was he was here, I was in Ireland, so you spend your time apart, you know? So this was better. Did I travel with anyone? got married on the 30th of July, 1952, in Dublin. And we came over here then, you know, the day we got married. What was my journey here like? We flew over uh, from Dublin, Dublin Airport. We landed at Northolt Airport. And we had a big trunk. And there was lots of stuff in this, in this big trunk that I had bought because I phoned the English Customs. What was I allowed to bring over here? And they said, anything except electricals, you know, which you'd have to declare or, or get a receipt for. So our best man and, and his wife, they gave us a canteen of cutlery. And of course, it's Irish cutlery. Newbridge, it was called. And when we were coming through the customs, he said, because uh, they bounded the trunk with uh, wire, you know, so you couldn't open it then. We were going through the customs. He came across the canteen of cutlery. And he said, how much was this? I said, I don't know. I said, that was a present, you know. About how much? And I thought, try and keep it down as low as I could. And I think he said about £2.10, something like that. We separated on the plane because they used to fill them up from the, from the front. And then uh, Marky must have said something to the hostess and she came. She says, when we take off, you can go back to your husband. <laughs> what was Dublin like when I left it? You didn't have drugs or things like that then, you know. People, if they had a gas meter, it was pennies they put in the gas meter. <laughs> I mean, the men who worked, a lot of them came over here to London and other parts of England because they weren't working. But most of the men that worked over in Dublin, they were lucky if they got £3 a week. You know, even though they'd have a family. There was no family credit or anything then, you know. And... <laughs> There was one chap I knew, and he'd only been over here a few months. And when he came back, he spoke more English than the English themselves. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, the, the, the people were nice. Now, it's um, a fairly rich country, and the, the people get um, a good pension. They do get a good pension then, you know. And something I didn't know until a few years ago, and this particular lady, I used to see her coming out of Mass, you know. One day she sat down while I was waiting for the bus. She sat down beside me and said, have you ever worked in Ireland? I said, oh, yes, six years. Do you get a pension? I said, no, I don't. Well, you're entitled to a pension. You know, she got through to them, the pension people in Ireland, and I get an Irish pension. <laughs> <laughs> I worked in the tobacco factory, Imperial Tobacco Company. This was in, in the place called South Starkler Road, and it's not there now, I believe. It was called Clark's Tobacco Factory, but it was the Imperial Tobacco Company. 
and uh, you had to uh, apply for a job. You had to write in for a job. And then when you when you were accepted, you had to be examined and you had to have x-rays and they examined your chest and what have you. And they even examined your hair to make sure you didn't have any fleas. All for a job. I was a stripper. <laughs> my, my granddaughter laughed when I said that. But it was stripping tobacco. You know, tobacco leaves, it's like, like a cabbage, you know, but it's brown. And you got that stalk. So you'd hold the top of the stalk and you pull the leaf, the leaf down. So you just left with the stalk, you know. And then I was transferred from them into what they call the mixing room, you know, where they mixed different blends of tobacco, you know. Like St. Bruno was one, and that was a very strong flavour, you know, that they put on that. Ireland was a very poor country. I didn't know anybody that owned their own house. You, you lived in a tenement house, or if you had a family, you got a corporation house. You were lucky to get a corporation house, you know, like council house here. And that was my grandmother's, my mother's mother, her place, were born there. I never knew somebody that owned their own house. Like everybody seemed to be in the same boat. I was quite content in, in Ireland, in Dublin. That was where I knew everybody, you know, and knew all the streets, where to go. And in the 30s and the 40s, it was lovely. It really was lovely. You could go here, there and everywhere. And everybody kept an eye on you, you know. But no, it was it was a brilliant place. And the hospitality, mind you, the hospitality is still there now. Because you go over there and they've got the, the children have got the kettle on before you even sit down, you know. Honestly, the, the, the uh, hospitality is still there. There was Irish dances, but I preferred ballroom dancing. And I was, even if I do say so myself, I was quite good at ballroom dancing. Irish dancing is, you know, when you kick your legs here, there and everywhere. And you do that on your own. With ballroom dancing, you're with a partner, you know. And sometimes you weren't lucky enough to get a fella to ask you, so you dance with your friend. <laughs> Two girls dancing together. But that was accepted, you know. Describe Golden Lane. Everybody knew everyone else. And if you were doing something wrong, a neighbour would say, I'll tell your mother. You know, and ooh, <laughs> or I tell your father, something like that. And we used to play in St. Patrick's Park as well. It was, a, it was just across the road from us, you know, St. Patrick's Park. We used to gather daisies and make daisy chains, you know. What's my biggest memory of Golden Lane? Being able to play out in the street with everybody. And that was good. And you knew everybody because you went to the school around there, which was Whitefriars Street School. But there was one teacher there, and I didn't get on well with her. <laughs> Miss Slowey was her name. <laughs> and she always caught me talk. I couldn't wait to playtime. You know, you sat two in a desk. And I'd always have to tell my friend, who's Kathleen MacDonald. I used to have to tell her whatever it was. And she always come. And then my name was Doyle, you know. Bridget Doyle. <laughs> but that was Bridget Doyle. And I, thought, I never learned. I did the same thing again. <laughs> Stupid child. <laughs> I can remember. And I might have been about six, maybe seven. And my mother asked me to go to a certain shop to get certain biscuits. Yeah. We say a pound of biscuits. I can't remember exactly. We say a pound of biscuits. 
And on the way back, of course, I got the biscuits. On the way back, I'm dipping in, aren't I? And I met a friend from school. Want a biscuit? Yeah. Oh, yeah, she's dipping in this way. When I came home, my mother said, Bride, you're the wrong biscuits. We'll take them back. <laughs> I was going home. So, I mean, now they wouldn't do that, you know. But we went back to the shop, and my mother said, No, these are the wrong biscuits. Can we, can we have a pound of. Oh, he said, There isn't a pound of biscuits there. Yes, yeah, she says, There is. He says, no. He says, she must have eaten them. And my mother said, nasty child that I was. My mother said, Bridie, did you eat the biscuits? And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, she must have eaten them. And my mother said, if the child said she didn't eat them, she didn't eat them. <laughs> so he said, I'll give you the same weight as what's in this. So he put them on. It was the scales, you know, that you put a weight one side and the, the you weighed them the other. So he put the weight, the biscuits on one side and he gave us the same weight on these other biscuits. So I thought she'd kill me when I go, she never said a word. And you know, it's only as I'm growing up, I thought, I never said to her, Mommy, I lied to you. And I'm sorry about that, you know. I never said it to her, I never. <laughs> Did I speak any English before I arrived? <laughs> yes, we didn't speak Irish. They didn't speak Irish, I didn't speak Irish. And most of the children, we didn't speak Irish. The children didn't speak Irish. They only spoke Irish when they were in school. I think you find over in the west of Ireland, it was mostly the people in the country. They seemed to speak more Irish than over in Dublin. I never cottoned on to Irish, just bits here and there, you know? Like ein, do, three, car, cúig, sé, one, two, three. <laughs> it's just things like that, but... I couldn't speak Irish and there were people in Ireland who were proficient in, in Irish and they used to have a gold ring. It was called a gold fawnia. That was meant they used to have it, mostly the men used to have it in their jacket. A gold fawnia meant they could speak Irish proficiently. They had this gold, what it was called, a gold fawnia. When I came here, I had a dog called Colleen. Now, Colleen is ours and it's spelled C-A-I-L-I-N, it's Colleen. But I can never understand why people call themselves like girls Colleen. Colleen means girl, you know? And it's, it means in Ireland, all it's spelled, like I spell Colleen, C-O-L-E-E-N. But um, it's spelled properly in Irish, C-I-I-L-I-N, you know? And that means girl. And I thought, how can you say, you can't say girl? <laughs> It'd be like, boy! <laughs> was I expecting anything of London before I arrived? I didn't realise what London was going to be like, you know? It was just another city, and I was coming over with Marky, and we were together, and that was the main thing, you know? Yeah, I knew, I mean, when Marky proposed, proposed to me, uh, and that was in a place called Red Rock in Dublin, and... Uh, I thought, yeah, I'd be going over to London to live, you know, and I was looking forward to that. Can I remember my first few days or weeks here? Mark, because he'd been spending all his money backwards and forwards flying, you know. He didn't have much money. I wasn't very well paid. We just, and we spent their time going to museums. <laughs> I didn't know anything about London. So, of course, he would bring me different places and show me different things, you know. And uh, we, we got... We had to wait three weeks then, of course, before he had a wage. But we managed. It was important that we were together. That was the important thing. Not that we ha couldn't go here, there, or everywhere, you know. 
<laughs> no, when we came here, Mark wasn't able to get any place for us to live. And then we got a council place and it was a house converted into two flats. And we had the upper flat and I was in uh, Medora Road. When I came here, you usually find people think, oh yeah, about a year after you're going to get pregnant. I didn't. And then I thought, well, I'll, I'll look for a job. So I looked for a job in um, Lambert and Butler's, another tobacco factory. That was in Lever Street in London, Lever Street. So we lived in um, Brixton Hill then. And I used to get the, the tube from the Oval to Old Street and then walk up to Lever Street to the tobacco factory. Yeah, I was a stripper again. <laughs> but uh, no, that was, that was good. But there was a big difference between the the um, managers in, in Dublin and the managers here. The managers in Dublin, they would walk through your department, head up in the air, you know, and go into to their offices, you know. Here, they knew I was bridey. They knew I had a son, you know, and after I had Mark, I had to give up, didn't I? And they wrote me a letter to say they were going to start in a night shift, like from six to ten, and uh, they'd be only too pleased to have me there. I said I couldn't. I wouldn't be able to leave the little boy, you know. And I, they said if they, if we're successful in, in getting this up, we'd be sorry enough to see you there. But they knew I was bridey, you know, and they, they would come around and talk to you. Honestly, go around all the machines and talk to you. In Dublin, you were just, uh, they wouldn't even look in your department. They'd go through and go through the store that led to their offices. We were nine and a half years married before we had Mark. And then he was only seven when his dad died. I could have gone to Timbuktu as long as his dad was there, you know. When we got married first, there was plenty of work. Mark, he was a crane driver. Like for, for bridge building, you know, a job would finish on a Saturday or Sunday. Another one was ready on the Monday. And then the firms introduced just concrete, steel rods through them. And they were cheaper than having uh, girders. So, of course, Mark, he was in and out of work. He'd be out for a few weeks before another job would turn up. And then this job turned up in um, Southampton. And uh, it was a power station and it was going to be a job for five years. So he took that. We weren't happy. He meant he was away from home and only three weeks he'd get home, you know, only every three weeks. It didn't matter. It was the only way we, we couldn't live the way we were living before. You know, there wasn't much money coming in. Up in um, Southampton, Mackie died. At 52, a heart attack. For nearly 50 years, I was going to that grave every Sunday, unless I was on holiday. And then I can't do it now because my legs don't work very well, you know. So I have to depend on Mark to take me. I have three grandchildren, Matthew, Patrick and Megan. And they've all graduated. They haven't got their brains from me. Because I said to Megan, which she thought was quite funny, when even when she told her friends, I said, when they were giving brains out, I was too shy and I hid behind the door. And now I'm going to become a great-grandmother in June. And I'm looking forward to that immensely. Mark and Helen, my son and daughter now, they said we'd take it to Dublin.
for your 90th. So they booked in and now I'm going to both to the Hilton Hotel, flew us to, to the Hilton. And on the Sunday, 46 of our relatives in Ireland came to the Hilton and we had the most beautiful part, all the balloons on all the tables. <laughs> I've kept all them, they're all in the box upstairs. And I said to Mark, Mark, I said, the money, just don't know, just don't. We had a party here then for my 95th, last year, last February, and a few of the neighbours came in as well, so that was really nice, yeah. How does London compare to Dublin? Oh, there's no comparison. Golden Lane was, that was my young days, my young when you were able to go out and play. And it was, it was one road, you know, but it was, it was always called Golden Lane. Is there anything from home I really miss? Uh, when I come back, you know, when I go over, I think, well, it's lovely seeing them all. And then you miss them for a while and I think, this is my home, you know? No, I was just pleased, happy. I'm, I'm coming home here with my husband, you know? Here, yes, was a home. Have I experienced anything that made me regret coming here? No. No. I was only sorry I couldn't have done it years beforehand. <laughs> but you know, when I moved here, it's only the past few years I thought, I've been very fortunate moving here. I've got nice neighbours, you know? And if I was running short through the week, I could ask one of the neighbours, look, I need some more milk or I need bread or something. And we, they would do it for me, you know? And there's two of them now. One comes on a Thursday to see me, spends a couple of hours. Another one comes on a Tuesday and spends about half an hour, an hour with me. Would I be the same person if I hadn't come here? In Dublin, my father would push you down, you know? Here, I was free. Yeah. Freedom from him, you know? Yeah, London gave me a lot of freedom. And I wouldn't ever, even now, I would never ever go back to Dublin to live. This is my home. Ireland is my Ireland. Here is my home. And that's the main thing, isn't it? What's good about London? I met my husband, Marky, here. The love of my life, and he still is. And he's been 55 years dead. I like everything about it. <laughs> I've got to know a lot of people here I wouldn't have got to know in Dublin, you know. And I found them all friendly, helpful, you know. Honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change London for Dublin any time. <laughs> Never. What isn't good about London? <laughs> I wish Martin was back. That's all. Yeah. That's all. And every night I pray for him. Honest to God, I pray for him. Do you know, it takes me an hour and 25 minutes to say my night prayers. <laughs> because there was one time I'd be in the bus and you'd be talking to somebody and they'd say, oh, my mother isn't very, what's her name? You know? <laughs> so the list has grown. I, I can't, can't do it anymore. There's people, honest to God, if I saw them now, I wouldn't know them. <laughs> it's been going back donkey's years. <laughs> Did I have a favourite thing to do in the city? Well, we used to go to the theatre, you know, or the cinema. We used to take the orange luxury coaches from Brixton and we go to the seaside and that'd be on a Sunday. And even when Mark, even after Marky died, a few years afterwards, then I used to take Mark. 
and the orange luxury coaches were in Brixton facing the town hall. And we used to take that from there to whatever river seaside we are going to. Ramsgate, Margate, you know. And uh, then we'd come home around about nine o'clock when we get home. And then we'd walk home. Yeah. Do I miss anything about London when I'm not here? When I go on holiday, I think, oh, yeah, I'm on holiday. Even if I go to Dublin, I say, yeah, I'm on holiday. And when I come back here, I'm home. Yeah, I think, as soon as I come in, I think, I'm home. And that's, that's what matters, isn't it? What is the best food in London? Scotch pies. They're, they've got all meat, obviously, in them. And it's, um, it's not a flat one. And the edges are all raised up. So I usually put water all around them so they don't get too hard. When, they, when you heat them up. And there's a hole in the centre, and Marky Comby got some. He said, that's where the gravy goes. <laughs> there was a Scotch pie shop in Streatham. We used to get them there. Now Mark can send up somewhere else and have them delivered. Yeah? I forget where it is. But uh, mostly in Ireland, because people are so poor, they mostly had stews. Not an awful lot of meat, but plenty of vegetables. And you go to the... Because the, there was no supermarkets then. It was just the green grocers, and you go there, and you'd ask for six penny worth or a shilling's worth of pot herbs. The pot herbs was like you get a couple of onions, a few sticks of celery, uh, white turnip, a, a yellow turnip. Here they call them turnip and swede, yeah. You get them, and uh, thyme on the stick. You know, you get all them. The more you paid, the more you got. You know, and all that would all go into your stew with. Lentils and, and barley, you know. So it would feed them and it was healthy food. Yeah. But then, I mean, they could do a lot with just a few bits of meat, but plenty of vegetables. I mean, you can just do with vegetables on their own. But no, they had, you might get maybe one or two little bits of meat. <laughs> but uh, no, you didn't know any different. I'm mayor for the day. What would I change? Uh, I give the National Health more money. Because they're vital, aren't they? But no, they deserve more money. Now, what would you do though, the national? I mean, in Ireland, they don't get national health. You got to pay for all your, all your medicines. Your, you had. I mean, even when I was a young girl, and people were really poor, if you had to have a doctor come to the house, it used to cost half a crown. Now, half a crown now would be like uh, twelve and a half pence, which is nothing now. But half a crown then was a lot of money. You'd have to pay that, and then you have to pay for your medicines as well, you know? So, no, I think they deserve every penny they get and more. And that's it for this episode of I Came to London. Join us again next time for more stories from the people who make London. London.